So, funny story. So, if, if you've been coming, I hope you know that I care very deeply about uh, the teaching ministry of this church and, and what we teach from the, the, the pulpit. And so, that involves a lot of study and meditation and discussion and prayer and planning. So, I work that out and, and I do really, really want to honor God in, in all of those pieces. So usually I, we, we have our, our series planned out. We have a teaching team that talks and prays through that. Um, and then I write it during the week. And then Saturday night is I just do kind of a read over and preparation. And uh, last night, a funny thing happened. Um, I was reading over and I felt like the Lord said, that's not what I want to talk about. And I said, well, we have it planned out this way. And I said, well, what do you want to talk about on Pentecost Sunday? So I asked him again, on this Sunday that all these churches, Catholic, Baptist, all these that are remembering Pentecost Sunday, what do you want to talk about this Sunday? And his response was, Pentecost. Huh. And I said, well, I was going to talk about that next week. That doesn't fit with my plan. And in all honesty, I felt like he said, the impression in my heart was that he said, you can do either one. But I'd rather you talk about Pentecost. So I said, well, that's not really fair, God. That's all right. So what I did is I I took my really well-planned message, and I'm going to put this to the side. And I'm going to, oh, that, okay. So um, I think he wants to talk about Pentecost this morning. And and so that's what we're going to do And, you know, many churches do celebrate. I grew up in the church, in a Presbyterian church, and we did, in the church calendar, we celebrated Pentecost. But I feel like the Lord is saying, I want you to do much more. Is that Pentecost isn't something that you just celebrate. Pentecost is something that I'm inviting my people to enter into. Amen? That, that there's an aspect of Pentecost. Yes, it was when the Holy Spirit was poured out initially on the church and empowers the church, and yet there's an aspect to Pentecost Sunday that he's saying, don't you know that my spirit is the same today as it was back then? Amen? Don't you know that my spirit wants to work in my people today? like I've always worked in my people, that I want to invite my people to allow the Spirit, my Spirit, to be poured out in the 21st century, just like it was in the first century. 
So that's what we're going to explore a little bit this morning. Actually, I did have this plan for next week because this is, we've been talking about the, the different ministries of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're walking through seven primary ministries of the Holy Spirit. And this was going to be that next one, that, that ministry of empowerment, the ministry of filling, the, the ministry of baptism. And, I, and he apparently, maybe there's some anointing that is happening worldwide, globally, as all these different churches talk about Pentecost Sunday, and he wanted us to be a part of that. So we're going to enter in to this discussion. What is Pentecost? How do we understand it? How do we celebrate it? But most importantly, how do we enter in? How do we receive the more that we've been talking about? All that the Spirit of God has for us. So let's pray. So Lord, I do pray for a fresh anointing. You know I get uncomfortable when I feel unprepared. So would you be in my discomfort? Lord, I pray for the congregation and I pray for an anointing on the ears of their heart, the eyes of their heart. Lord, I pray that there would be a stirring in our hearts and souls for more of you. Lord, whatever barriers would be there between more of you, whatever fears or hesitations, would you move and wipe those away from our hearts and souls? Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, this morning? Amen. Let me give you a little bit of a setup of Pentecost and, and how Jesus really in his ministry was uh, not only teaching and doing all the stuff and, and living and proclaiming, dying on the cross, but in a very real sense, at different times of his ministry, he was setting the church up. He was setting the disciples up for this moment of Pentecost, an experience of the Spirit. One of the ways that he sets it up, Pentecost was a festival, was one of the great celebrations that Jews from the known world would travel to Jerusalem and celebrate, also known as the, uh, the Feast of the Harvest. There was an earlier, there's a number of pilgrimages to Jerusalem and earlier, um, when Jesus was right in the middle of his active ministry, there was another festival, uh, another feast, another gathering that the, the people, the Jewish people were coming together, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, in this gathering, it's seven days, and there was a tradition in, um, in that feast where there would be a procession of priests that they would go and um, bring a pitcher down to the pool of Siloam, dip it in, and the procession would return uh, to the temple, and they would circle the altar one time as the, the choir, it, it's believed, were singing psalms and praise, and the people were gathered. They would circle the altar one time, and then as a symbol of a prayer of blessing, they would pour this water over the altar. 
That was the Feast of Tabernacles. On the seventh day, they did the same ceremony, um, but they would circle the altar seven times, right? The, the perfect number. And then pour the water from the bowl or the pitcher um, over the altar as a, a, a symbol of God's blessing and favor. And it's believed that right at that moment, we, we don't know for sure, but a lot of scholars would say in the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and he proclaimed in a loud voice. Now, it's interesting. Most rabbis of the day, they always sat down and they taught conversationally. But Jesus, unlike the teachers of his day, he stands up as if to give special attention, maybe right when they had just finished circling the, the altar seven times and they're pouring the water, maybe at that moment, Jesus stands up and he proclaims this. He says this. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty... Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, rivers or streams of living water will flow from within them. And then he sat down. And the writer of the gospel, John, he tells us what he meant by the streams of living waters. He was talking about Guess who? The Holy Spirit. It was somewhat a, a foreshadowing, a, a preparation for Pentecost. Now, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, especially in the Gospel of John. But then, in, through the course of his death and resurrection and ascension, he says a few other things. Like at the end of Luke, he says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. The promise of the Father. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. He said that in ascension. Also, he said just before his ascension, he said this, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's setting up this idea that, that within the disciples, even though they don't get everything and all of that, there's this idea where he's setting up, he's talking about, he's looking back to the Old Testament, say that Holy Spirit, yes, but it's gonna be poured out for the church. That's what's gonna make the church the church. Are, are you ready? and don't go, I've got this big mission, this big uh, advancement of the kingdom. You're gonna get to do the things that I've been doing, but don't go anywhere. Wait in the upper room. Wait in the city of Jerusalem because you need to be empowered first and foremost. And then we read in Acts chapter two, the story of Pentecost. Would you read with me? It says, Acts chapter two, Verse 1 says this, when the day of Pentecost came, actually the day of Pentecost was the, the, the 50th um, Sabbath after the first Sabbath, I believe, Penta 55, 
uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, the, uh, the feast, they were all together in one place. It's believed 120 of them were in the upper room. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That was the pilgrimage, Pentecost. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, sheesh, I could have prepared for this a little bit better. <laughs> Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Good question to ask. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine to drink. What does this mean? Significance, what does this mean? Let's ask that for a moment. I want to clear up a, a, a few misunderstandings that I've heard and wrestled through and prayed through. One, when, when people have talked about this moment, this Pentecost this, this baptism and this filling, that uh, um, some theologies have been connected to it that I think have not served the body of Christ well. I'm just gonna name these theologies real quick so we can put them aside a little bit. If you wanna discuss these things with me, great. Um, be happy to discuss them. But one theology is that there is a particular sign of the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that is tongues, okay? Um, I didn't give, ask my son permission to share the story. I hope it's okay, but yeah, he's thrown on me, but he, he's at a school at a denomination that has a different theology of this, and part of that theology is that tongues is the sign of being filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. And a number of months ago, Luke called me with an open Bible and he said, they're saying that I have to speak in tongues to be filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. I said, well, let's look at scripture together. So we looked at scripture together and I equipped him and he was able to, on campus, be able to have those dialogues. And I love the phrase as we've talked about that since. He says, but it's right there in the Bible, dad. I said, it is, it is, but God bless our, our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, right? They're doing, they're doing good, godly work, right? I know my theology is gonna be corrected when I get to heaven, right? 
just like their theology is going to be corrected, right? So we're all trying to do this and be as biblical as possible. So, but the reality is I read beyond uh, the initial story of baptism, uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost because I wanted to demonstrate that actually they were not speaking in tongues. They were speaking in other known languages, right? And if you trace it through Scripture, that there's no one sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're not going to try and get you to speak in tongues in the belief that that's the final sign. Okay? Can we, can we let that go? All right. Now, there's another theology that would say baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at conversion because it's about salvation. And if you've been saved with the Holy Spirit, then you've also been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I would argue, though I love my uh, mainline denominational brothers and sisters, I would argue that that's not the testimony of Scripture. Were the apostles, the 120, were they saved prior to Pentecost and the Spirit being poured out? Yes, they were. So why did they need the Holy Spirit? Empowerment, Logan, free cup of coffee for you, my friend. So yes, that, that actually the filling of the Holy Spirit, would you, would you hear this now? The filling of the Holy Spirit is not about salvation. The Spirit within is about salvation. John 3, Nicodemus, Jesus says you must be born again. And that's why we're baptized with water is when we've confessed Christ, the Spirit has entered in and we're born again. That's baptism with water. But Jesus was saying, there's a, an empowerment piece of my Spirit that I want you to experience again and again. And sometimes that happens at the point of salvation. And sometimes it happens after. That's the testimony of Scripture. And I love my conservative mainline brothers and sisters. And my theology is going to be corrected in heaven, just like their theology is going to be corrected in heaven. And we're just trying to be biblical. Okay? Can we let that go? Okay. We good? Yeah. I'm just trying to remove some of those ideas and theologies that we've been raised with that can be distracting to us. All right. There was one more that I was going to mention, but because he gave me such little preparation time. All right. I'll give it over to him, and if it comes, I'll give it to you. All right? So, so we let these go away. We say that. And, and those are some of those things that are, are worth discussing and wrestling with and praying. And I want you to focus in on one particular word from that reading. It says in verse 4, look at verse 4. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you look at your neighbor and say, filled? One more time. Filled. All right, now this is an interesting word, filled. So we see that 
there's an association of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with this idea of being filled, okay? So, Jesus said, wait in the city, be baptized, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were empowered, they were clothed with power from on high. Now, they start living as a church, they see these beautiful things. If you fast forward, I'll read it to you, you can if you want, Acts 4, uh, verse 8, it says, uh, Peter was facing resistance from the religious leaders of his time, and we are told that then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. I thought he was filled back in Acts 2. Why does he need to be filled in Acts 4? So apparently this isn't a one and done deal. Salvation, that's a one and done deal, right? When you give your life to Christ, he holds on to you. But the empowerment of the spirit is not a one and done deal. It is something that you invite into your life again and again and again. Did I invite the empowerment of the Holy Spirit this morning? You betcha. I don't want to do it without it, okay? Um, if you go on, that was Acts 4, 8. Look at Acts 4, 31. So the whole church is facing persecution. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all... I thought the church was already filled in Acts 2. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God Boldly, Acts 9, if you look at verse 17, this is the, the, the salvation story of Paul, road to Damascus, and we see Paul um, confesses Christ, is baptized with water, and then we're told uh, Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was his initial salvation. And then if you look at Acts 13, it says, Then Saul, or the Apostle Paul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Eliamus and said, why did Paul have to be filled in Acts 13 if he had already been filled in Acts 9? Because it's not a one and done deal. Ultimately, Paul would say in Ephesians to the church of Ephesus, he would say in Acts 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be, be filled. Look at your neighbor and say filled. 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 
That is an ongoing. It's not a one and done. You, you see what Jesus had in mind for his church, what Jesus had in mind for you and I as his followers and disciples, that we wouldn't have to bootstrap up this kingdom thing, that we wouldn't have to do it in our own will and our own strength because he knew we're broken people. He knew that we would need all the resources available to us to live the life and advance the kingdom and do the stuff that he was doing. And he said, so I have a plan for you. I have an endless power supply. You just have to plug in. You just have to pray and receive this empowerment to live the life I'm calling you to live. Amen. But we're sitting with the plug in our hands and we ain't plugging it in. We're not inviting his ongoing filling and empowerment in circumstances. We're not wrestling with this moment at work where we're, we're facing the angst and the struggle and the pressure and we're going, help God. He said, it's there. Just invite my, my presence and power in your life. We're wrestling in our marriages or relationships or struggling or we're being hurt. We're saying, help God. He said, I've planned for you. I've got all that you need in the heavenly realms. Would you invite my presence and power? I'm convinced he gives, us, gives it to us even when we don't realize and ask. I'm convinced that oftentimes that you and I are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We just haven't had language for it. That's okay. That's all right. But you see, Jesus was preparing his church to be saved and beginning a relationship with him one time and then preparing his church to be filled and filled again, again, and again, and again. Hallelujah. I don't want to live a life that's powerless, that has no... I, I think some of the, my concerns is we have articulated the faith in, in such a intellectual or, or scientific way, which I, I, I love deep thinking. I, I love to wrestle through. I love the intellect. I, I love, we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and mind, absolutely. But we've, we've fallen or been raised into this idea of, of rationalism, that, there, that there's no supernatural, and it's working against the biblical faith that God is inviting us to. Do you understand? It's creating these, these barriers that, that are in our mind, and he's wanting us to think through. He's wanting us to press through. He's wanting to increase our faith so that we might truly embrace all that he has for us. So he promised the promise of the Father. Now, how do we, that, that leads to how do we receive the baptism 
of the Spirit. How do we pray for the ongoing filling? Well, there's a little formula, okay? So you clap twice, and then you shimmy to the left, one time to the right, and then you say it has to be this exact sentence, or you're done. You're, you know, the... That's the third one that I was going. There's no formula. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Came a little bit late, but okay. So there's, there, there, we, we try and put together this, this, these formulas of the faith in how we have to do that. And there's not. The Holy Spirit will not be contained within a formula. It's a relationship. And as always, it's a matter of the heart and faith, okay? He's not looking to say, well, let's see if they do it right. Because then I'm not going to give my blessing. If they don't, if it's not just the right, if, if they don't have quite the, the theological articulation that's just, uh, no, he doesn't do that. But I would say this, there's no formula, but there is a, a, a spiritual posture that we can have that invites his empowerment, his baptism, and his filling. And, and so just doing a little bit of, of reading from uh, Presbyterian Reformed um, pastors, missionaries, and uh, these are some of the things that, that people have found to help us with a posture to receive the filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's one is this. The question or the, the comment that Jesus made at the very opening statement of the message. Do you remember what he invited people? He said, all who are thirsty... Are you thirsty? Is there a, a longing for more? Are you longing for a greater intimacy with God? All these things that we've been talking about, ministries of the Holy Spirit, are, are you thirsty for a closer relationship with God? Do you know that is spirit-driven, that thirst right there? Uh, identity, are, are you longing to know who you truly are, who God has knit you together? Do you thirst for that? That is, I know you do, Logan, that is a spirit-driven desire for more. Sanctification and character work, do you want to live it right? Do, do you long for that? Yeah, that's spirit-driven. There's this idea of thirst, did you know I'm thirsty? Yeah. I'm thirsty for myself and I'm thirsty for you. I'm thirsty for this congregation. Thirst is an important thing. Lord, would you stir our thirst? Repentance is part of that. That we, we are, are, we will, are we walking in his word are we walking in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been granted to us? Are we being people who identify the things that are not of God, that are barriers to all the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Are we confessing that? It was so good to be able to do that in worship this morning.
through music, to be able to lay those things. That's a, that's a way that we not only prepare for communion, but we prepare for the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's an idea of surrender that Jesus says, blessed are those who, who deny themselves, pick up their cross daily and follow me. What that surrender means is, God, I don't want to do it my way. I want to do it your way. I want to do my parenting your way. I want to do my marriage your way. I want to do my, my character and my personal holiness your way. And I want to crucify all that is not your way. There's a surrender. There's a, there's a recognition of our need for him and that we get it wrong and we surrender those aspects of our lives. And if we've done that, this is a little bit complicated, so stay with me. If we've done those things, then you know what the next step is? We ask. As simple as that. He said in Luke, if, you, if, you're, if your son asks you for an egg, do you give him a scorpion? He says, no, and even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. Ah, my heavenly father, he's good, and he'll give you his Holy Spirit. That's a promise. It's a promise. So we ask. We, we simply ask. We say, Lord, is this for me? And Peter, when he was explaining Pentecost, he made it clear who this was for. He said, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise is for you and me. And then we receive by faith. There, there's an element of trust there. There's an element that we don't we don't say, oh, okay, this has to happen in order to. We just trust. We trust. And then you know what we do afterwards? We obey. We obey as God directs, right? That was Beth last week. Listen, discern, and So then, whatever the Lord leads us to do, we do. We, we look for that empowerment. We, we pray for that empowerment, whether it's in relationships, whether it's family, whether it's career, whether it's work, whether it's ministry, whatever we do, we ask, we receive in faith, and then we obey. And we don't get wrapped up in theology of language or any of that. We just, we, we obey and we receive. Good? So here's what we're going to do. We are going to do something super radical. We're going to take communion. 
Woo! So I'm just going to give you how we're going to do that. We're, we're, we're not going to do anything weird or don't let any of that stuff, kind of put all that stuff aside, okay? So we're not going to run around the sanctuary or do anything like that, all right? What we're going to do is we're going to take communion. And over the course of taking communion, would you think about that posture of your soul? Would you think about thirst? Are you longing for more? Not just the removal of sin, but the promise of the Father. Would you repent? I know many of us did already. We repented. But would you, anything that's a barrier, any, any mindset that's broken, any hang-up that you have in your soul, just lay that before the Lord. Would you surrender your life to him? And then after we have prepared our hearts and souls and gotten the posture and taken communion, then we're simply going to ask. I'll lead you in the ask. It's going to be a prayer. That's it. We'll ask. And then we're going to believe in faith. We received it. And then we're going to walk out those doors determined to obey whatever the Lord leads us in.